Hi, listeners. A quick reminder that starting April 4th, Unexplained Mysteries will be airing new episodes once a week, every Tuesday. And we're starting these weekly explorations with a thought-provoking month-long special for Earth Day called Dark Green, Earth Crimes and Conspiracies. So be sure to join us every Tuesday, right here, for all new episodes of Unexplained Mysteries. Thanks for listening. The tale of Noah's Ark is thousands of years old, most prominently featured in Judeo-Christian texts. It's become one of the most famous stories of all time. But for those who haven't heard it before or need a refresher, it usually goes something like this. Unhappy with the wickedness of his creations, God decided to rid the world of its sins and send a great flood to wipe out almost all life on earth. But God chose to spare one man and his family, a pious farmer named Noah. God warns Noah of the impending flood and tells him to build an ark large enough to fit two of basically every living creature on earth, one male, one female. That way, when the flood passes, they can repopulate the planet. Noah does exactly as God instructs. Once Noah finishes the ship, God seals the doors, and the rain begins. The storm lasts for 40 days and 40 nights. But Noah and his family and all of the boat's passengers survive. The clouds part, the waters recede, and Noah's ark supposedly comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. In the end, God promises to never deliver a flood like that again. And Noah and his family go on to repopulate the earth, making him the patriarchal ancestor of humankind. Many believe it's just a parable meant to teach us a lesson and nothing more. But for centuries, some have wondered, was the story real? Did a great flood once kill almost all life on earth? Then, in 1993, a man named George Jamal came forward with an extraordinary claim. He said he found physical evidence of Noah's legendary ark while climbing Turkey's Mount Ararat. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first and only episode on the Great Flood, an apocalyptic event that some believe fully submerged the Earth for months on end. The most famous account comes from religious texts, but the story of Noah's Ark is far from the only one of its kind. Today, we'll take a tour of the most popular flood legends from around the world and examine whether any or all of them could be inspired by real events. We have all that and more coming up. 
Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I'm willing to bet you've probably experienced some form of flooding in your lifetime. I know I have. I remember the big flood in Ashland, Oregon when I was in seventh grade, and that creek rose so far it flooded the whole plaza of downtown Ashland. How about you, Richard? (laughs) Well, I grew up in New Jersey, and I know that we had problems in our house in the basement. It flooded. I don't know where the water came from. But we had to drill a hole in the basement floor and install a sump pump just to keep dry. Well, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration lists floods as the most common and widespread of all weather-related disasters. But not all floods are the same. No, they're not. A little water in your basement is a far cry from what can happen when the skies open up The oceans begin to surge. And the infrastructure humans have built to protect ourselves fails. The year before recording this episode in 2022, widespread flooding displaced hundreds of thousands of people in Pakistan. The damage cost well over $20 billion, and over 1,700 people died. On the other side of the globe, in the Appalachian region of eastern Kentucky, a so-called thousand-year storm inundated its hills and valleys, wiping out entire towns and killing 44 people. More Americans die in floods every year than from any other natural disaster. And while climate change has likely exacerbated their severity and frequency, floodwaters have plagued our planet since the beginning of time. Throughout history, different cultures have written accounts of a so-called Great Flood that wiped out nearly all life on Earth. We told one of the most famous examples earlier, the story of Noah's Ark. Or one version of it. Right. And understandably, there are details in our version and the original texts that are difficult for people to believe. Like how Noah was apparently 600 years old at the time of the flood, or that everything he brought could fit on a boat that, well, wasn't very big. If we convert cubits to feet, the book of Genesis says God instructed Noah to build an ark that was about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's 150 feet longer than a football field, but only about half the width, much smaller than the average cruise ship today. 
The Ark was supposedly made of material called gopher wood, which modern scholars believe to be either pine, cedar, or cypress. It had one window and a single door. Inside, there were three levels with different chambers to house the countless animals that Noah brought with him. And he brought more than you probably think. Traditional retellings often say Noah took two of every living creature with him, but the actual text is a little more complicated. In Genesis chapter 7, God told Noah to take either seven or seven pairs of every clean creature, which presumably meant any animal that was considered fine to eat per Jewish law. On top of that, Noah supposedly also brought two of every unclean animal, along with his wife, his sons, and their wives. Eventually, water covered the earth as God foretold. Then, once the flood passed... Noah sent out a raven and a dove to check for dry land. On their first flight, the birds found nothing. But after the dove's second journey, it returned with an olive leaf. When he finally touched solid ground, Noah made a sacrifice to God, started a new life in the mountains, planted a vineyard, and got drunk. And frankly, I would do the same if I were him. Well, I would set up the hors d'oeuvre concession because there's going to be a lot of people doing a lot of eating and drinking. The story of Noah is one of resilience and faith. But is there any truth to it? In her research paper titled The Noachian Flood, geologist Carol A. Hill estimated that if Noah was a real person, he would have lived sometime around 2900 BCE. That's a few hundred years before the time historians believe the Egyptians built the Great Pyramids of Giza. But regardless of whether Noah was a real person, the best evidence that the story is inspired by real-world disaster is just how many other cultures have recorded a similar tale. Coming up, accounts of a great flood pour in from around the globe. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The debate over whether a global disaster known as the Great Flood really happened has raged on for millennia. And that's largely due to the shocking number of similar stories that come from every corner of the globe. From Southeast Asia to Central America to ancient Mesopotamia, cultures throughout history have seemingly shared their own renditions of a flood story. There's enough that we don't have time to go through all of them in one episode. So, we're going to examine just a few of the most notable ones. In Mexico, the Aztecs told the story of Nata and Nena, two people who were warned by the god Tlaloc that a great flood is coming. 
To save them, Tlaloc seals Netta and Nena inside the hollowed-out trunk of an old cypress tree. He gives them each one ear of corn to eat. Naturally, when the rain finally stops days later, they emerge from the tree trunk hungry, so they decide to go fishing. Not knowing that while they were away, everyone who didn't escape the flood turned into fish. The story ends with Tlaloc punishing Nata and Nena for basically murdering people, even though they obviously didn't know that. And their punishment is... They're turned into dogs. Farther north, in Norway, there's a particularly violent rendition of the Great Flood legend. In it, the god Odin and his brothers fight an epic battle against a giant. They ultimately win, but it's a bittersweet victory. The creature's blood then flows onto the earth, basically drowning everyone and everything. The only ones left are a frost giant, Burglemir, and his wife. They survive by building an ark. In the east, China has at least four unique flood myths. One involves the Chinese god of thunder getting captured by a farmer. The farmer locks the god in a cage and tells his two children, a boy and a girl, to look after the deity. But the kids take pity on the god and release it from its bonds. As a reward, the god gives them a giant gourd to hide in, while it sends a giant flood to kill the rest of the world. When all's said and done, the siblings are left alone to repopulate the earth. While these tales all involve a global catastrophic flood, certain aspects differ from the story of Noah's Ark. For one, most of the protagonists don't survive the storm in an actual boat, and almost none of them involve animals. But there's one legend that shares many of the same elements, and it comes from the Sumerians, the first urban settlers of ancient Mesopotamia, which just so happens to be the likely setting of Noah's story. One of the earliest documented accounts of a Sumerian flood story was inscribed on a clay tablet from the end of the third millennium BCE. In this rendition, the Sumerian gods decide to wipe out humankind with a terrible flood. A single man survives the ensuing storm, sealed up in a boat along with a bunch of animals. Finally, the weather clears, the boat reaches land, and the man is granted immortality. But Mesopotamia also produced other versions of the tale, including the Epic of Gilgamesh, often considered to be the oldest surviving piece of literature. Inscribed across 12 tablets, archaeologists found the epic poem inside the ruins of a library in the ancient Mesopotamian city of Nineveh. Experts have estimated that these specific tablets date back to the 7th century BCE. And importantly, the story itself mixes both history and mythology, combining real-life Sumerian rulers with fantastical tales. For example, Gilgamesh was a real king who ruled during the first Sumerian dynasty, which was called the Uruk. In the story itself, Gilgamesh is portrayed as an authoritarian ruler who's incredibly cruel to his people. 
Because of this, the gods send a steady stream of challengers to try and overthrow the iron-fisted king. Gilgamesh defeats them all, but ends up befriending one of them, a man named Enkidu. The two set off on an epic adventure, but at some point Enkidu dies and Gilgamesh is left heartbroken. Hellbent on finding a way to escape death, Gilgamesh locates a man whom the gods have blessed with immortality. His name is Utnapishtim, and his story may sound very familiar to you. When Utnapishtim was young, the gods decided that humanity had to be wiped out. The only person who deserved to live was Utnapishtim because he was so righteous. So the gods instructed him to build a big boat with lots of chambers, one entrance, and one window. He was told to take his family and some of every living creature with him. Then the gods unleashed a massive flood. Utnapishtim and his passengers were the only survivors. Once the storm ended, Utnapishtim's boat landed on a mountain. He sent out a dove, a swallow, and a raven to check for dry land, and ultimately made a sacrifice to appease the gods. It's strikingly similar to the story of Noah, but there are a few differences. Utnapishtim's boat was cube-shaped, and he was allowed to save more than just his family. He brought a few artisans and craftsmen as well. And Noah was never blessed with immortality. But that doesn't change the fact that both stories originated in the same region and have nearly identical plots. Not only that, but ancient tablets similar to the ones used to record the Epic of Gilgamesh were found to contain a list of mythical and real-world kings. Noticeably, the list seems to present a divide between pre- and post-flood kings in the region. On top of that, geologists and archaeologists have found evidence of flood deposits in the area. This suggests that at least one massively destructive event hit parts of Mesopotamia sometime between 3000 and 2800 BCE, right around the time that geologist Carol Hill estimated Noah might have lived. Now, that seems to suggest that aspects of those Mesopotamian legends are at least inspired by real events. But it's not proof of a global disaster. And those who stringently adhere to religious text believe there was a flood that decimated the entire planet, not just a single region. If that flood did happen, it would appear that it didn't leave behind a trace. No widespread sedimentary deposits, no signs of tectonic plate shifting. As Carol Hill said, from a scientific perspective, a universal flood is entirely without support. The Bible says Jesus is a direct descendant of Noah. Noah's quite literally the link that connects Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the Son of God and the Savior of humankind. So some hold on to hope that Noah did actually walk the earth. And maybe there's a reason to have faith. Coming up, science meets religion. Now back to the story. 
From ancient China to Mesoamerica, tales of a great flood are an important part of many cultures' lore. And with so many variations of the same story sharing common themes, people have wondered, did a global flood really happen? In their quest for an answer, many have turned to the text found in the Old Testament and the Torah to both prove and disprove its existence. So we're going to do the same. Like we mentioned, the book of Genesis chapter 8 verse 4 states that Noah's Ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Some biblical literalists have interpreted that to mean modern-day Mount Ararat, a mountain located in Turkey. But from the dawn of the common era until the 11th century, most Christians actually didn't believe that the mountains of Ararat meant Mount Ararat. See, some Mesopotamian cultures reportedly viewed their temples as mountains, so the text could be referring to a hilly region or a ziggurat, a pyramid-like structure that some scholars think was used for religious purposes. What's more, modern-day Mount Ararat probably isn't located in what would have been the biblical region of Ararat. It's farther north. In fact, Christians have associated several different peaks with a likely landing place for Noah's Ark. One of these is called Mount Judy. And there are a few reasons that might be true. For one, Mount Judy is part of what would have been the Ararat region referred to in the Bible. But more importantly, the area's climate makes it great for growing olive trees and grapes, which would have been necessary for the olive leaf in Noah's story and for his vineyard. As for Mount Ararat, olive trees and grapes definitely can't grow on its snow-capped 17,000-foot peak. And yet, sometime around the 11th century, biblical literalists suggested that Mount Ararat was the real destination for Noah's legendary ark. One of the most famous pieces of evidence linking Mount Ararat to the Ark and the Great Flood was the 1993 movie, The Incredible Discovery of Noah's Ark. The Ark documentary attracted a huge amount of attention. It was even narrated by the legendary actor Darren McGavin, best known for playing the father in A Christmas Story and Billy Madison. In the documentary, self-proclaimed adventurer George Jamal displayed a plank of wood. He claimed to have discovered it near the apex of Mount Ararat. When the documentary aired, it was a massive success. And though highly criticized by skeptics, many took it at face value as a confirmation that Noah's Ark was real. There was just one problem. George Jamal was a fraud. It later came out that Jamal was just an out-of-work actor who lived in North Long Beach. He'd taken the plank of wood from some railroad tracks and aged it in wine and teriyaki sauce at his house. But the incredible discovery of Noah's Ark hasn't been the only attempt made at proving that Noah's Ark existed or that the Great Flood actually happened. In 2007 and 2008, a team of Turkish and Chinese archaeologists claimed they found several wooden chambers near the peak of Mount Ararat, which they suggested could have been part of Noah's Ark. 
The wood was ancient. Using carbon dating technology, researchers estimated it was about 4,800 years old, which they claim is about the right age for Noah's Ark. But skeptics were quick to point out other explanations. Archaeologist Paul Zemanski suggested it could be from an old shrine that was built in the region ages ago, not an ark. Turning back to the text, a common translation for Genesis 6.17 has God saying that he'll, quote, bring floodwaters on the earth. But some scholars have claimed that a more accurate translation is bring floodwaters on the land, which makes sense because at the time, people had no concept of Earth as a planet. Thousands of years ago, people's concept of the world was much smaller. The Earth only extended as far as they could see. And as we stated, there's ample geological and archaeological evidence of catastrophic flooding in and around the Mesopotamian region at the time, just not on a global scale. In fact, geologists William Ryan and Walter Pittman think they've identified the actual event that inspired the great flood legends of greater Mesopotamia. And their theory isn't just limited to Noah's region. They believe several devastating floods took place around the world. Between 10 and 20,000 years ago, planet Earth looked very different. The area where New York City is now was located about 100 miles inland, and England was still part of mainland Europe. That's because much of the world's water supply was still frozen inside glaciers. As the Earth warmed, glacial dams burst and catastrophic floods swept across the globe. But this process happened over thousands of years, not all at once. During this era, near the end of the last ice age, the Black Sea was all freshwater. Just north of ancient Mesopotamia, glacial runoff fed into the sea. But at some point, as the glacier began to melt faster and faster, the water stopped flowing south and started flowing north. This process filled the North Sea on the other side of Europe. And as it did, the area on the southern edge of the Black Sea dried and became fertile farmland. And it stayed that way for a while, at least until more glaciers melted and the nearby Mediterranean Sea began to rise rapidly. This caused the waters of the Mediterranean to force their way inland. Soon, the sea became a giant wall of water, moving at a rate of one mile per day. The deafening roar of the rushing waters could apparently be heard from 100 miles away. The spillover of the Mediterranean ran into the Black Sea and turned it from a freshwater lake into a salty sea. Geologists now suspect that this might be the catastrophic flood that served as the basis for the many different legends from the Mesopotamian region and maybe even some other great flood stories around the globe. Much like today, a changing climate made life difficult for early humans. But our ancestors were resilient. If they were lucky enough to survive the rising tides, they simply pushed on and started over. And maybe they left all those stories behind 
to let us know that should disaster strike, we can too. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Jesse Harris, edited by Wendelin Zabrozo and Connor Sampson, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Jay Cahew and Bradley Klein, produced by Aaron Larson, and sound designed by Michael Motion. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner. Mm-hmm.